And this morning we have a real privilege to have Pastor Sarah with us. How many have been blessed by Pastor Sarah's worship and just leading us into the presence of God? Let me tell you, let me tell you, there, there are many worship leaders on this planet, but there are few minstrels unto the Lord. And she really is one of them, man. She's somebody that if nobody ever looked at her another day of her life, her passion and her pursuit of the Holy Spirit and his presence would be just as strong than it is right now in front of you all. So friends, let's welcome up somebody that's the same in the secret place as you see her in public. Pastor Sarah, come on. Love you, Pastor Sarah. Chad, you always almost make me cry every time I do this. That's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, I am so, so happy to be here with you guys this morning. I am missing my notes, though, so pause just a minute. Pause just a minute. Here they are. There we go. Okay. Um, I'm so, so excited to be with you guys this morning. I am always so honored and excited when I have the opportunity to speak to this house and to my own family here. and Because I believe that the Lord, the Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic, right? So he's not saying one thing to someone and something totally opposing to someone else. And I think there's something powerful about um, speaking to my own family here in-house and you guys hearing from people that attend this place. We love it when people come from outside, too, because it gives us outside perspective. But there's something about hearing about what's going on in this house. And when Pastor James asked me to speak, um, we've, of course, been doing a series on uh, Follow the Leader, Godly Leadership, Leading Like Jesus Leads. And so he asked me to speak along those lines, and I really, really thought and prayed um, about what God wants to do in this house as far as the direction he wants us to go as a leader. So how many of you guys know that everyone is a leader? Everybody is a leader. Whether you know, I tell this to my 12-year-old all the time because she's very naturally a leader. She's a real standout, obvious leader in life. Um, and I always say to her, Chassia, someone's always watching you. There is always someone looking at you. There's always someone looking to you for advice, for leadership, because she's a leader and you cannot change who you are. So the second that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if you don't feel like you're a leader, you are a leader. God has set that in your heart to be one that stands out, to be one that preaches the gospel, to be one that shines the light of Jesus Christ. So we were really, I was really thinking about this and I was asking my husband about, you know, thoughts that he had about leadership because my husband is also an amazing leadership or a leader. I love you so much, baby. You're amazing. And he was like, servant leadership. And he gave me that phrase and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Servant leadership. Now, of course, we talk about being servants a lot in church. It's a pretty normal thing to talk about. But I Googled that phrase because I feel like you can't study anything now unless you've used Google. I feel like it's almost illegal in this day and age. Like, I cannot come up on this stage and say, I didn't Google anything when I was studying for this sermon. It almost doesn't seem right. So I did Google it. I Googled servant leadership, and I expected it to not have many hits or not be pretty obscure. Well, Google finished the phrase for me. Before I even got past the L of leadership, it said servant leadership. I was like, what? I was like, that's weird. So I clicked on it. And lo and behold, I did not know this. Maybe some of you know this. Maybe my husband knew this. But servant leadership is a thing in the business world. How many of you guys knew that? This is like things people have written books about. Okay. I did not know that. I was like, whoa. So I'm going through and I'm reading all this stuff. And I was like, these people don't even love Jesus. They straight up jacked Jesus' Bible. They like, 
they like robbed the Bible and put it in a self-help book and I'm making millions of dollars off of it. I just thought it was the craziest thing. This guy, I don't remember his name. I didn't write it down because it doesn't matter because Jesus made it up. Anyways, servant leadership is this huge industry in the business world these men who are really, really successful in life, who have came up with what they think is this amazing concept of serving your customers rather than, or serving your employees rather than demanding of them. I thought that was so, so interesting because, and then of course it caused me to dig even more into the Bible, but I was like, wow, these people, they don't even love Jesus. They don't even have the Holy Spirit inside of them, and they have discovered this truth. And I thought, man, church, we got to catch up. We got to catch up. Because if the world is applying these principles and getting fruit from it, then how many of you know we apply these principles, we're going to see fruit too, and that much more fruit. So, I, of course, I was doing some studying, and I went to Mark 10, and I want you to turn there now if you can. Mark 10. And I'll be l- reading out of the New Living Translation because I like things simple and straightforward. Um, <laughs> I like simple. Um, but I'll be reading out of New Living Translation, and we're looking at verses 35 and 45. So, Pastor James... Uh, talked about this a few weeks ago. This is the story of the disciples uh, asking to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand in the kingdom, right? So, uh, and Pastor James, of course, is always so amazing, and those pictures stick in your head of these disciples, like, scrambling to want to be the best in the kingdom. Um, Aren't we just all like that? Do you know what I mean? It's like we're always scrambling to be the best. It just is human nature. I was reading a little more into this story Because the disciples wanted this powerful role in the coming kingdom, but then Jesus gave them a reality check about the price that is paid to be a part of the kingdom. And in uh, Mark 10, 35 through 45, I'm going to read it to you. Then James and John and the sons of Zebedee came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. (laughs) That's so amazing to me that we're going to God be like, hey, do us a favor, Jesus. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on the left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. (laughs) Lord, help us all. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from this bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say to you who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Everybody say indignant. I can't believe those that, that James and John, that they would go to Jesus and ask all these things of Jesus. How dare you? How dare you? I mean, these people were brothers, you guys. They spent every hour of every day together, and they're still getting all up in arms about this kind of stuff. I went to Bible school. That's actually where I met my husband. Thank you, Jesus, for Bible school. And we literally traveled the country together. We went all over. We were, I mean, we spent 53 hours in a van one time. No stopping. We slept in the van, no showers, brushed our teeth in gas stations. It was nasty, guys, nasty. All these, like, early 20s folks all, like, crammed in a, uh, in the middle of summer. It was the middle of summer. We were driving. We drove from Seattle to Louisiana. We actually were driving down to help with um, 
Hurricane Katrina, the efforts afterward. And it was an amazing experience, but the drive down there was nasty. Anyways, so I understand the closeness, I feel, that these disciples were. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like you nitpick at each other. You become family, like brother and sister, and you're just fighting over stuff. And James and John, James and they were annoyed with James and John. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Why, why are you trying to go behind our back and try to get something from Jesus? And so Jesus, like he always does, he sets the record straight. Jesus called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And this is the verse I really want to pay attention to in this moment. But among you, it will be different. I want to say that again. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be made the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And I find it so interesting that when they come to him with this question, Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking, bro. Can you drink this bitter cup I'm about to drink? Now, of course, they had no idea what he was talking about. But Jesus knew what he was talking about. He was talking about not so long from now, I'm going to be arrested, wrongly arrested and accused by all the people that were singing my praises just a couple days ago. I'm going to be beaten, tortured, crucified, and killed. They didn't know that, but Jesus knew what he was talking about. And I find it so interesting that right before they ask him this question, up in verses 32, Jesus was talking about dying. I'm going to read it to you. They were now on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They'd go down a little bit. We're, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. I mean, that's some heavy stuff, guys. This guy that they've given their, they left their boats their businesses, their families, and they're following this crazy guy around the countryside who's healing the sick and saying the kingdom of heaven is hand and I'm the son of God. Okay, these guys were in it. And he drops this bomb, like, bam, this is what's about to happen, you guys. And then in the very next sentence, James and John scurry up to him and say, hey, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? It's like, guys, you're missing the point here. That's not what it's about. Jesus, the bitter cup that Jesus was talking about it, before they asked this question, he was talking about the price he would pay, the ultimate act of service, his very life laid down on the cross. No greater love has any man but that he lay down his life for his friends. And that was what Jesus was talking about. And it just, it missed them. They totally went over their heads. And I'm not trying to hate on them. Aren't we all the same? I feel like Pastor James preaches a good word every week. We read our Bible. We, I've been serving Jesus, I mean, like forever. I was like born on a pew, okay? I've been in the church forever. And we still just miss the point. We're always chasing this thing when it's this thing that we're supposed to be after. And if you want to turn real quickly to Matthew 25, um, we're going to go there next. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. But Jesus shared with them after this deep truth that they too must serve in order to be great, the way he was going to serve. And not just in laying down his life, that was the ultimate thing, obviously, but Jesus served the people, people who were ungrateful, people who wanted to kill him, and he never spoke a bad word, except to the religious leaders occasionally, which I always find funny. Um, 
he never spoke a bad word about anybody. He served and served and served up early, I mean, up early in the morning, out late at night, serving the people, people he knew would kill him. You think about the love that he had and the secret that he knew about what true great leadership was. And in Matthew 25, I'm only going to spend a little, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. But the reason I chose this passage is because Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven. Constantly. It was the number one thing he talked about on this earth. And I feel like if Jesus said it, it's probably pretty important. But a common theme in most of his sermons about the kingdom of heaven was service. Servants. A lot of the parables he told were about servants. A master sends his servants away, blah, 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 blah. Well, who's the master? God or Jesus. So who's the servants? Us. We're going to go down to 14. Matthew 25, 14. And I'm going to read this whole thing. I want you to really listen to it, okay? Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, I want to stop right there. According to their ability. So similar to James and John and then the other disciples getting all, you know, up in arms about everything when they were trying to sneak a little, like, promotion from Jesus, okay? It's because there's this competition, it's this natural competition in human beings and this natural competition in the church. And it's so easy to feel like if someone else is getting, Chad, you even mentioned it while you were speaking. If someone else is getting ahead, we can't rejoice with them. We have to be worried about, why can't I get some of that? Or why didn't that happen to me? She got married. Where's my husband? I'm way prettier than she is. How come she gets a husband? I mean, let's be real. These are things we think, you guys. How many have thought things like that before? I mean, I'm raising my hand. I can be honest. Maybe not the married thing, although I probably did think it at certain points. But... Do you know what I mean? It's this competition like, like if they have it, why can't I have it? And the master in this parable, which is who? God or Jesus, right? The master in this parable, he assessed his servants and he handed out portions of money or talents as in, some, in some versions according to ability, which means there are levels of ability, right? Levels of ability, don't be bitter if you feel like your portion appears to be smaller than someone else's. I'm going to say that again. Don't be bitter if you feel like your portion right now appears to be smaller than someone else's. Be confident that the portion was given to you because Jesus gave you that ability. And Jesus recognizes your desire to have more. Jesus gave us each ability, some have more, some have less, at least in the way that we understand it. That's a, that's a fleshly, physical understanding of ability. I doubt very much that the spiritual world sees ability the way that we do. Very, very much. So even if you feel like you ha what you have is little, don't be bitter about that. Take the little in your hand and be faithful with it. We're going to look a little more in that in a minute. But Jesus gave you that ability, and he sees and recognizes your desire to have more. And so he says, all right, here's a little bit. Let's see what you do with it. Let's see what you do with it. Let's see what the servants do with it. He left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, everybody say, after a long time. 
long time. Somebody say long time, okay? Things in the spirit take a long time, guys. How many of you kind of recognize that now, by now, okay? Long time. Their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they'd used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned you five more. What a good thing to be able to say. You know, like, imagine this scenario, okay? Imagine this servant. He walked up to his master, and he was confident because he knew he'd done right. He knew he did what his master wanted to do. What a good feeling to be able to walk up to Jesus in life and say, I'm confident, Jesus. I know I did what you asked me to do. I mean, the obedience gives you confidence. If you lack, if you lack confidence in your life, start being more obedient because obedience creates confidence. It's a good feeling to be able to get with the Lord and walk up to the Lord and say, I did right with what you gave me, God. I did right with what you gave me. That servant, he walked right up to his master and said, look what I did. I know you're going to be proud. And he was. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, he got the most out of everybody, but he had a small amount according to the master. And so now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's, sit, let's celebrate together. And then, again, the person with the two comes up, and it's all the same thing. But we get to the last person, the one who only got one bag. So small abilities, Okay. Small abilities in his mind. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. Think about that for a minute. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. You guys ready for it? This one's a hard one to read. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Ouch. Ouch. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest in it. Then he ordered, take the money from this service servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless service into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Y'all, that's, that's intense. Because that servant walked up not confident, right? He already make excuses spilling out of his mouth the second he starts talking. I knew you were a harsh man. Master, I know how harsh you are. So I, I didn't want to lose what you gave me. I did a good thing, right? God, I didn't lose what you gave me. I still got it in my pocket. Here it is. And Jesus' response is, I mean, yikes, guys. You wicked and lazy servant. I don't want to hear anybody talk to me like that, let alone Jesus. I mean, my, you know, the five love languages, one of my languages is words of affirmation. I mean, my life just got smashed to the ground. You say something like that to me. I'm going to go cry in my room for three weeks, okay? Yikes. You wicked and lazy servant. I want to point something out to you that you may not have noticed before. We're going to go down to, um, sorry, hold on, let me get this one here really quick. To verses 31 through 46, okay? So, um, 
right after Jesus is telling this parable, this parable. So he's telling the parable and what's it about, the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, okay? And then Jesus rolls right into 31, right into verse 31. There's no break in the sermon. They didn't travel anywhere. He's talking. It's the same message, okay? So when you speak a message, you have a beginning, a middle, and then you tie it all together at the end, okay? So Jesus, uh, Jesus is the original preacher, okay? So this is what he is doing. He told a story, he set the, t the stage, and bam, he comes in and finishes it with this. I'm going to read it out. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then, this is the, this is the thing, listen to this. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did any of these happen? These things happen. So these are the righteous ones, okay? These are the ones that Jesus is saying, well done, good and faithful servant, okay? But they don't even know what he's talking about. Do you want to know why they didn't know what he was talking about? Because they were just living their lives unto the Lord. They weren't taking tally of all the things they did for God. They weren't taking tally of everything they did, waiting for a breakthrough to come. Be like, God, I did this, 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 and for you. Why hasn't this happened yet? God, I did this, 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 and this for you. Where's my platform? Where's my ministry? Where's my money? Where's my, where's my, where's my? They're righteous. They didn't even know what Jesus was talking about because they were so busy living their lives for him from a place of love. And then Jesus says, the king will say, King Jesus, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. And again, their reply is the same. Lord, when did we ever see you? And he answers, I tell you the truth, when you refused, guys, that's a strong word, you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing me. And I find it interesting that they're, they're probably sectioned off in your Bible, right? Like there's just one section, the first story we talked about, and this is a separate section. These are not separate thoughts, you guys. The Bible was not written in chapters and verses. This was a sermon. Jesus was preaching and he closed it with this idea. So that means if this is a sermon and he's preaching a message, that when Jesus was talking about the master's servants stewarding their portion according to their ability, he is now relating it in the close of his, servant, in the, in the close of his sermon to living in service to the least of these. That is our portion as believers. I know sometimes it's easy in American Christianity because there's a little bit of like celebrity ministry. Do you know what I mean? People on stages, and that's fine. I have a stage, I sing on stage every week, okay? 
I'm not hating on that part of it, but I feel like it's so easy to think that that's ministry. But if I can tell you a little bit about myself, I have this because I served. And that is the truth. I wanted this because it was in my heart. God puts destiny in our hearts. It's not bad to want great things. That's normal as a child of God. My children, sometimes the things they come up, especially my 12-year-old, my little leader of men, okay? She comes up to me and asks me for things, and I'm like, hold up. Why do you think you need that? Or what, do you, what about what you just asked me? Why, how do you think you're going to get that from me? She just has these ideas of grandeur, you know what I mean? But do you want to know why? It's because she's a loved child. She has no reason to doubt that I would give her this thing until I say, no, you're crazy, do more chores. Do you know what I mean? She has no reason to think that I'm going to say no. a little more like that. You know what I mean? It's nothing wrong with wanting grace, greatness, but like my 12-year-old, you got to be willing to clean the toilets. You do. You got to be willing to mop the floor. You got to be willing to sweep up the kitchen, do the dishes for the fourth time today. Yes, please hold your sister so I can go to the grocery store. Yes, 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 I need this from you and that from you and this from you. I'm not that demanding, you guys, I promise. But we make our kids work in our house because servant leadership is not just for, it's not just for people in ministry on a platform. It is for everybody. Everywhere we go, you are a leader and you can lead from that place of service. Jesus equates being faithful with your portion with serving the least of these. Feeding the hungry and befriending the lonely and giving those to those who are in need. These are not glamorous jobs. And you won't read about those things in self-help books. No, you will not. It's probably not going to be a conference about it. But it was a big deal to Jesus. Quickly, I want to talk about David. I feel like I always talk about David every time I preach because David is awesome. King David, go to 1 Samuel 16. Just really quickly, I won't hold you guys too much longer. But this is important. The Lord really, really, really dealt with me about this for a lot of my life. Um, as I was serving my way to the destiny he had for me. Thank you, God, for your grace. 1 Samuel 16. David the shepherd king. So David is amazing for many, many reasons. Uh, I, I connect with him on, as a person on a lot of levels, his gift for music, his high, high, high level of moodiness, um, his uh, <laughs> lots and lots of things. But one of the things I really admire about David is he's one of the few people, he may actually be the only person in the Bible, don't quote me, where it says of him, he did everything. He accomplished everything he was meant to do on this earth before he died. I mean... Yes, Jesus. I want to be that confident service that says, look, master, you gave me this, and look how much more I brought to you. David did that. When he passed away and passed on into glory, he walked right up to Jesus, who is awkwardly his son, right? Weird. Anyways, walked right up to Jesus and said, Jesus, look what I did. I loved you, and I loved others, and I did this for you. 
And Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Verses 1 through 13 and 16, David is anointed king. He was not, God was not pleased with Saul. Saul was not a servant of men. He was a servant of himself. And that was seen through and through and through. He was a servant of his ego and his insecurities. That's who Saul served. And God was not pleased with that. So Saul, or God, removed the kingdom from Saul. Sent Samuel, the prophet at the time, to anoint a new king from the house of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. Only seven of them were presented. David didn't even make the cut, y'all. When Samuel said, hey, Jesse, bring your sons before me so that I may anoint a king of Israel. They said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they're like, what about David? And Jesse's like, yeah, David's not it. Brings the seven sons in, and then Samuel goes down the line. One, two, three, four, no, no, no. And then he says, do you have another? Because <laughs> these aren't it, and I know what God said to me. And Jesse's like, yeah, go get David. Go get David from the fields. And the second David walks into the room, what does God say? That's him. Now Samuel, who was a really awesome guy and really loved the Lord, okay? The first son, Eli Eliab, I think is his name, real strong and handsome, and blah, blah, you know? And uh, Samuel said, oh, this is him. And God said, nope. That's not him at all. I've rejected him. Because God does not see as man sees. God sees the heart. Verse 13 is really what I want to talk about here. So David stood there among his brothers. Think about this moment. Close your eyes. I'm, I'm very artistic. Okay, close your eyes and just imagine this moment. It's so easy to read the Bible like they're just stories. This is history. This happened David was a real person. This was really happening. David's out with the sheep, obviously rejected by his brothers. This wasn't just a one-time rejection. He had to have been continually rejected by his family to be forgotten. They didn't even bring him in, okay? So he's a continually rejected son. They bring him in. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Oh, wouldn't you just love to end it right there? Hallelujah, chorus singing. All of his brothers bowing down to him. The crown placed upon his head. Now, verse 14. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Samuel goes back to Saul, who is still king. And David goes back to the sheep, still a shepherd. I wonder how David felt in that moment. He had this big and crazy encounter with the Holy Spirit, the prophet of God at the time. You will be king, David. And then Samuel says, peace out, I'll see you later. And leaves David to be like, what? <laughs> what just happened? You said I was going to be king, man. So take me with you. Let's get rid of this Saul guy. He's a heathen. Put me on the throne. But that's not what happened. Samuel left David to go back to his sheep, to go back to his portion, the thing he had already been faithful with, back to his rejection. And I can't get into all of it, but David is probably the most rejected person you could ever meet in your life. Everyone at some point in time was wanting, wanted, not just didn't like him, they wanted to kill him. They weren't just like talking trash on Facebook, okay? 
They straight up like wanted to kill the guy. He was running for his life for like 20 years. Rejected, but not rejected by God. God sees the heart. Very next passage, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read that to you real quick. So verse 14, Samuel goes back to Ramah. David goes back to his sheep. To his sheep. <laughs> Whatever cheap is. Cheap. Okay. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Jesus help us. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of the Lord's servants said to him, listen to this, you guys. This, is, this could be many months later, maybe even a year later. We don't know how long it is, okay? Some of Saul's servants see him like this, and they say to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon again be well. Who do you think that musician was, guys? It was David. David. David's diligence with his portion, his countless hours alone with the sheep, where he spent hours worshiping God by himself, writing music, developing his skill as a harpist, as a psalmist. David's diligence with his portion was practiced long before he was anointed to be king, and it made a place for him to be in the courts that he would one day rule. His gift put him in close proximity to the promise while he waited for it to manifest. Did you guys hear what I just said? David's faithfulness with his portion, his little sheep and his little harp out in the field, hours by himself, years, that made a place for him in Saul's court, the court where he would one day be king. If you're in close proximity to your promise and you feel bitter because it seems just out of reach, rejoice. Rejoice. You are in close proximity on purpose and by design. So be faithful, little Davids, to your Saul and watch God work. 20 years passed between David being anointed king and being made king. 20 years is a long time, you guys. And I'm going to close up with this. In life, there are seasons of obscurity. That's just the way it is. I don't know why it works that way. It's how it works, though. We don't know every detail about what happened to David in those 20 years, although we do know quite a bit. But what we know is he was hated. He was... <laughs> He lost his family several times. They, people wanted to kill him. He lost his wealth and got it back and lost his wealth and got it back. I mean, the dude was like, if you were going to watch a movie, you want to watch it about David. There is more drama packed into those 20 years than you can possibly read on Facebook in a day. And that's a lot because Facebook is all kinds of drama. Okay? He, he went through it. And all the time, again, it's easy to read it because, oh, well, yeah, but he became king. He didn't know that, though. All he had was a promise from God. That was it. There was no guarantee in the flesh that he was going to become king while Saul was chasing him down and wanting to kill him. But he served Saul. He served and honored Saul. And he served and honored his tiny little sheep and then his tiny little mighty men, his little group of mighty men that saw him for who he was and wanted to follow him, okay? 
David was faithful with the portion he was given, and it made him a king. God knew he was a king, but what made him a king was the life he lived before he became a king. So I want you guys to close your eyes today. We're not going to do any worship at the end. Just Let's just all close our eyes. We're going to pray. And Jesus, we thank you, God, that you've made us, first and foremost, servants of your kingdom. We desire to be free of our egos, to be free of our insecurities, to be free of our fears and our worries. We desire to see the destiny you have called us to and walk according to it. No matter what our circumstances dictate to us, no matter what our emotions tell us, no matter what our finances tell us, no matter what our family has told us, whatever is speaking against your destiny, we ignore it. We set our eyes and our sights on the things that you have called us to do. A kingdom of servants in this house. A kingdom of servants in your church. A kingdom of servants to every person who bears the name of Jesus Christ. Let it be planted in our hearts and let it be a part of our DNA. That when we see someone in need, we do not reject them. When we see someone even who is hurting us, we do not reject them. But we love them with the love of Christ as we are on our way to where you have called us. And as you go, you guys, you will become who you need to be for that word to come to pass. You cannot circumvent the process. It will not work. If you try to circumvent the process, you will never become a king. And then you'll never be able to rule the things that God has asked you to rule in your life. And whether it's people, or whether it's your house, or whether it's your job, or a new business, there are many, many things you can rule in in life that don't have anything to do with this a platform in a church or anywhere else. But if there's a thing in your life that you want to rule that you are not ruling, serve, 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 love people, love people, love people, and you will rule that thing. If it's fear, if it's depression, if it's sickness, whatever it is, you will rule that thing. But you have to lay your heart down first. So Jesus, we lay our hearts down. And I pray this week, because you will give us opportunities, Jesus, you always do. I pray as we are given opportunities to serve others and love others better than ourselves, that we will do that. That we will, among us, you guys, it must be different. As Jesus said to his disciples, that it will be different among us. Our response to people, our response to situations. Plant in us the heart of love and service so that we can walk it out every day. And I pray for every person in here believing for overcoming in any area that has a dream in their heart that's not yet come to pass. Give them, give them wisdom and understanding on how to serve their way to that place. And give them the grace and the passion to do it. We pray all of these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can do it. You can do it. Um, that's all I have. Thank you guys so much. Uh, go this week and look for opportunities. Be blessed and love others. Love you guys. Have a good week. Get your kids.